0: This is Marketing Jam, a show featuring the brightest minds in marketing. Marketing Jam is brought to you by Cyber Impact, the email marketing platform made specifically for Canadian small businesses.
1: Go to cyberimpact.com forward slash jelly, create a free
0: account, and start sending Castle compliant promotional emails in just a few clicks. Here's your host, Darian Kovac.
1: I want to welcome you to the next episode of Marketing Jam, we're here with David Allison and we're going to jump right in to talk about something that I think is going to shift the way you think about demographics and I think a new coin, a, a term that's been coined, value graphics and, and what does that actually mean? So before we jump in to all that, how did you end up where you are today, like what is the ah, story? That's You're, an interesting your story. story. My
0: origin story. Yes. Okay, so first off, thanks for having me, yeah. it's yeah. great to be here. Yeah. Um, Uh, I had my own marketing and branding and strategy company for years and years and years and years and we sold it, I sold it to management about three years ago. Mm -hmm. Um, It had specialized in real estate development. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so we were hired by guys who were building buildings and resorts and all over North America. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'd help them figure out what it is that they needed to say in order to get people interested in their building. So when I sold the company, I'd always written books and used that as a way to get up on stages because Mm -hmm. once you have a book, people invite you to conferences, you get to be a speaker. Uh, and I figured it was time to do one for myself. So I started to think about what that might be. Now my previous book had been about baby boomers leaving their single family homes in the suburbs and moving into multifamily residences. It was called the Stackable Boomer. And I'd been on stages talking about that and we'd done a bunch of research with baby boomers who had just made that move and asked them, how's that going, what, what can we do better? So the moment when I was sitting around thinking about what's the next book, Mm -hmm. it was about the same moment when the media decided that millennials were Mm -hmm. really a cool thing to write about. Mm -hmm. And every article and every newspaper and every show on television was about millennials and avocado toast and all the other stuff that we're supposed to think about millennials.
1: Their work ethic.
0: Their work ethic. They live in their parents' basement. They watch too much Netflix. I mean, all that stuff, right? So I'm reading this article about millennials and their hobbies because they apparently all have the same hobbies, because it's one big hive mind, right? Uh, and the stuff that this article in the New York Times was saying that millennials like as hobbies were all the same things that the baby boomers had told me, that mm. they were worried about leaving behind when they left the single family home in the suburbs and yeah. moved to the multifamily residential place in the apartment or a condo mm. tower. I thought to myself, it was so blatant. Yeah. We could have just taken the word millennial and boomer and swapped it out of that yeah. article and no one would have known the difference. Yeah. Uh- uh, So I called my research guy who had done the previous book with me and I said, I think I know what the next book's Mm. gonna be. How do we build buildings that aren't about age? We should be able to build condo towers and apartments and multi-family residential and mixed use and communities and whatever it is we're facing for our development uh, clients that we were working with that aren't based on, this is for rich baby boomers, this is for first time home buyers that don't have a lot of money, et cetera, et cetera. So we went out and started doing surveys. 7,000 surveys later, we found out two things. The first one was that nobody wants to live in a building full of people the same age. sounded like a ghetto. That was a word from them. Ghetto. I don't want to be in an age ghetto. And that was the young folks as well as the old folks. But they said something else that was even more interesting. They said that they would pay, this is averaged out over Mm 7,000 surveys, as much as 15% more Mm -hmm. than market value for their rent or their condo purchase. If they could be told one thing in advance and that one thing is they want to live in a building full of people who shared their values Mm. now they all had different ways of saying it Mm -hmm. but basically they want to live around people like them Mm -hmm. not to do with age or income or gender or marital status, just people who believe the same stuff I believe, who are sort of into the same things I'm into. But
1: not like a commune. Not like
0: a commune, no, but if I'm going to buy into a condo tower, instead of building a condo tower that's built for baby boomers and stereotypes about what baby boomers might want, they need marble kitchens, they like, you know, fancy stoves, Let's build buildings that are based on what people value, what they really care about. Like so you could have a building of, around the environment. You could have a building that's based around health, sports, fitness, and wellness. You could have a building that's based around uh, uh, urban gardening and urban yes. food and all that kind of stuff. So why don't we do it that way? Wow. So that's cool. That was going to be the next book. I've got uh, boomerennials.com. was going to be no. the. I've got the. I still own <laughs> that. <laughs> I'm going like, to use it one day. Boomer boomer boomer, boomerennials.com. Okay. That was going to be the name of the book. Um, so then I sold my condo and yeah. I bought a new one and I renovated and so sit back here for a few months yeah. which, and I suddenly started to work on it again and realized, wait a minute, if values are more important mm. than demographics mm. in housing, which is the most expensive, most emotional thing anybody's ever gonna do. This is what
1: you spent years marketing and selling, right? So that's your background.
0: Why would it be any different for toothbrushes yeah. or vacations or banks or movie choices or anything? So I called the research guys back up and said what are we going to have to do to prove that this holds true across all sectors mm-hmm. of the economy. Yeah. And the answer was 40,000 surveys. Oh. Uh, so we did 40,000 surveys. Because okay. that's kind of the general what you need that's what we need uh we're now our methodology involves continuing to drip feed more and more data into the database we're at a hundred thousand surveys now for north america we have twenty thousand for china in the next six months or in the next uh six weeks two months ish we're going to have uh europe the uk uh asia pacific so we're almost at a third of the world Mm -hmm. and the goal is within the next year or Sooner, if I can figure out how to make that happen, we'll have the world's first database of what we all value, what we all care about, what we all share in common. And we can use that to profile target audiences Mm -hmm. instead of demographic stereotypes like boys like blue and girls like pink and millennials like avocado toast. We can now say, no, the audience for this teacup or for this chair or for this condo, what they really care about is family, Mm -hmm. and they really have, uh, they place a high value on trust. Mm Uh, and their uh, personal responsibility is something that's very, very key to the, who they, who wow. they are. Mm-hmm. Now, what's important to understand about this database uh, is that it's based on this sociological principle, which is, which is a truth. This mm-hmm. isn't something from my research, mm-hmm. it's just sociologists will all agree with this. Mm-hmm. What we value mm-hmm. determines what we do. Yeah. So if we know what a val- the values are, mm-hmm. the shared values for a target audience, for any mm-hmm. product or service or brand, we can tell you how they're going to behave. We've never been able to do that before. Demographics can describe a group. Psychographics can tell you how they've behaved until today. Yeah. But now value graphics, yeah. as the third in that set of yeah. X, uh, value graphics can tell us what they're going to do tomorrow. Wow.
1: And has that word existed? No. Into, OK.
0: No. So that's a new word. Start. I want everybody to start using, like yeah. value and graphics. And yeah. eventually,
1: like the word listicle, that BuzzFeed coin, yeah, 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 do you yeah, think yeah. it'll get adopted by the dictionary? I sure hope so. Okay. because.
0: Uh, this is maybe skipping too far in advance, but this, uh, this project I've taken on has got three phases. And we're in yeah. phase one right now, which right. is just collect all the data for the world. Yes. Uh, we've been using this actively for clients for the last uh, 18 months. So we yeah. know it's working. Yeah. Wrote the book. Yeah. Book plug. Where, where do you want me to look? Yeah, yeah, Here. Yeah, yeah. I know, <laughs> one. I know one. yeah. That's great. Uh, and so that phase needs to get finished. Then we need to find the funding to get an algorithm in place and yeah. to digitize this and build a dashboard, make it something that's easier To access, right now it's a very manual process. I like to joke that I have an algorithm and his name is Calum, and he lives in New Zealand. And So he has to manually open this giant database and look for what we need to find in this database. So once that's done and it's digitized and it's automated and there's an algorithm behind it, the third phase is why I get out of bed in the morning. Mm -hmm. And I call it the Robin Hood phase. And this is where we're able to use the money generated by uh, charging companies to understand their audience and how to motivate them better. And we use that in order to fund giving this away for free to organizations that are doing good things in the world. Yeah. Uh, and charities so that's can, charities. I'll tell you one little story. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a f- all kinds of amazing conversations going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to, I'm trying to be realistic about my expectations, mm-hmm. but I'll give you a general story. Um, as a species mm-hmm. on the planet Earth. We are very, very good at making stuff. We make a lot of stuff. We have factories all over the world Mm -hmm. just churn stuff Mm -hmm. out. And some huge percentage of that stuff gets thrown out. We decide we don't like it anymore, Mm -hmm. it's not in style anymore, the fashion industry is notorious for this. We throw things in the ocean, we throw things in landfills, we burn stuff, we just do whatever we can to get rid of the stuff we don't want anymore. If my data can somehow be accessible in a way that even moves that needle of the yeah. unnecessary waste that we produce mm-hmm. and we can get 2 or 3% less yeah. stuff being chucked out, yeah. that's a really great thing Same. to have achieved. Yeah. Those are the sorts of global issues that this database is going to be able to impact. It's,
1: amazing.
0: it's really our first opportunity as a species, and I keep using that mm-hmm. word, uh, as humans, to have the data that proves that we're actually more alike than yeah. we are different. It's huge. And the, the fundamental flaw with demographics is that it begins every conversation in a boardroom with uh, defining the other. Mm-hmm. It's about men versus women, rich versus poor, yeah. young versus yeah. old. Ageism. Ageism. Yeah. Uh, but but all of those other categories don't they don't hold any water in the da- in the, in the in the database either. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll throw out some stats just to give you a sense of what this is all about. So we have 100,000 surveys now, 380 different metrics that we've measured our values, wants, needs, and expectations. If we just isolate baby boomers as one example, baby boomers only agree with each other 13% of the time. How many times have we targeted baby boomers? That's an 87% disagreement on everything it means to be human. So you are only got a 13% chance you're going to get baby boomers to do what you want if you're targeting baby boomers based on your assumptions about baby boomers. Millennials, yeah. unicorns in the enchanted forest, yeah. um, they only agree 15% of the time. Wow. Generation X is 11% of the time. Uh, to make those numbers even more remarkable, a, a random sample across the entire database of all ages, yeah. both genders, all income yeah. groups, just as humans, we agree with each other 8% of the time. So let's go to the millennials. That means a millennial target audience, you have a 7% lift on your ROI for every dollar by targeting millennials compared to just doing whatever the hell you want and talking to anybody. Uh, So what's all this time and effort and resources we spend on demographics when they're so pointless?
1: Well, we got to address that. then. so you mentioned Generation X. Yeah. Uh, You mentioned boomers. Yeah. So let's go back in the history of this. Where did all this start? Like who coined that phrase? Like who who came up with it? And now it's something that everyone. Demographics.
0: Yeah, yeah. I don't know uh, how long ago it began, but I mean, there are references to it in ancient Greek and Roman texts, right? Segmenting audiences based on demographic profiles, Mm -hmm. and I think at a certain point in history, they maybe had more validity than they do today. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a point in time where, if you were in a little medieval village Mm -hmm. and you were a certain age, you were a guy and you Mm -hmm. were eighteen and you weren't a warrior yet, and you weren't married and you hadn't. You know brought some kids into the world there was something wrong with you the social consequences of that could be quite severe yeah. uh, if you were a young woman at certain age uh, in certain points in history and you hadn't procreated and you hadn't married you were a witch so we burned you on the outskirts of town yeah. right i mean there were there were there were all kinds of crazy social pressures involved in conforming. And not just to age, but rich people had to behave in a certain way, poor people had to behave in a certain way. You look
1: at Downton Abbey, right? Downstairs, Abbey*,
0: Upstairs, downstairs. What you're allowed to wear, who you're allowed to talk to. All these rules that used to be there to keep us in our place. It was Mm. sort of a social weapon, if you will. Well, technology's come along now yeah. and flattened all of that, yeah. right? We've never been more similar to each other around the world yeah. than, we've been, than, than ever. This is, this is the most similar and alike we have been in the history of, 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 of humankind. Yeah. But we still go into boardrooms and use the old Downton Abbey uh, rules yeah. around demographics. Yeah. Rich people want this, yeah. poor people want this, yeah. men want this, Gen-X young people want this, old people yeah. want that. Yeah. So there isn't a single demographic label that we yeah. could find in the database, not just age, but any uh, demographic that scores anything better than 13%, 14 15% alignment yeah. on all 380 categories. We called the book, we're all the same age now, we focus yeah. on age because nobody has a hard time disagreeing with me about ageism. Yes. It, it, should, it should stop. But it's the same thing for sexism and it's the same yeah. thing for your level of education, number yeah. of kids, married, divorced, yeah. single, white collar, blue collar, pink yeah. collar, it doesn't matter. Yeah. We don't resemble other people in those categories Into at levels. all, yeah. at yeah. all. Yeah. Now if we look at value-based articulations of who's within a group, however, yeah. we layer this on top of a demographic profile for a target audience, yeah. we get alignment on those 380 values of anywhere from 76 to 89%. Wow! So that's eight times better, eight or nine times better. So you have $1 to spend on marketing, yeah. you target baby boomers, you're gonna yeah. get a 15% return on that investment. You target people who hit one of our value graphic profiles, Mm -hmm. our top 10 are between 76 and 89%. Let's go for the big one, 89% Mm -hmm. is a group of people we call the adventure club, Mm -hmm. the the, the constantly seeking the newest, Mm -hmm. coolest, most fun thing that they've never experienced before. Those folks agree on those 380 values 89% of the time. So you can choose your buck, you can spend it against a group that agrees 11% of the time, that's how similar they are, or a group that's 89% aligned on everything it means to be a human being.
1: But what you're basically saying with this 11% or whatever it is, whatever the number people choose, like people have built business plans around it, they've built their marketing strategies around it. I know. So you're saying is people need to throw out their entire construct of how they've developed their marketing plan. And redo it and build it from scratch, looking at values.
0: It's a gray line. Okay. Uh, so demographics still have a place, right? Um, I was uh, on the way over here talking to somebody who's working on a very, very high-end product that's going to be several million dollars to to purchase. Uh, we Is it know a Vancouver home? it's a Vancouver home. I didn't want to get into the politics <laughs> of that, uh, but. Uh, we know there's not going to be 18-year-olds buying that, yeah. right? So age still matters. Yeah. Uh, we know it's not going to be people who earn $45,000 a year. Yeah. So income still matters. Yeah. Uh, and age and income tend to have some correlation to educational opportunities yeah. that you had. So there's no not going to be a lot of PhDs Uh, or there may be phds there's not going to be a lot of people who haven't hit high school haven't graduated from high school in that group so demographics still matter right but for that demographic that we have identified will be the most likely to buy this place what do they care about yeah Should there be a pool table in the front lobby? Or should there be um, a giant garden? Or Mm. should there be um, an herb garden where they can actually participate? Do they want to know their neighbors? Like, we all assume people move into these buildings and they want to know their neighbors. Do these guys want to know their neighbors? Mm. Well, If we just look at the demographics, we'll go, well, of course they do. They've sold their single-family home in the suburbs, and they're looking for community. Well, maybe they're not. Maybe they are really excited about leaving community behind, and they just are looking for some isolation. Um, We should know this stuff and not assume it based on a demographic profile. Hmm. So that's what value graphics can bring to the table. So I just want to make that point really clear. Demographics are still absolutely valid. Yes. We've been using them wrong. Okay. We use them to define an audience. We still should. But then we try and make a leap and go, because we understand this defined audience, therefore, this is how they're going to behave. This is what they want. This is what they value in life. That's where we've been going wrong. So you're saying
1: look at the demographic then add a value graphic lens on top. Bingo. Okay.
0: Bingo. Okay. Uh, It's just the third tool. Uh, We have demographics, psychographics, now we have value graphics. So if someone is to
1: read this book, do you feel like they'd be confident to add value graphics as a filter to all their marketing campaigns going forward? I think it's, it's everything in here that they need to know. So
0: we go back to what I started uh, this conversation with that um, eventually the goal is to give this away for free to yeah. not-for-profits and groups that are doing important work in the world. Yeah. Uh, so we're starting in little ways okay. um, right now because it's, it's just such a complex... Yeah. Are you old enough to remember uh, on uh, Star Trek when uh, Captain Picard and Data would play three dimensional chess? Yeah, I remember that. Okay, so three dimensional chess. Imagine a spreadsheet that's three dimensions. Yeah, yes. That's the database we're dealing with. Okay. So you can't just go in there and grab stuff. Yes. It's very complex the way you approach it, the way you come at it, right? So what's in the book are the top 10 most powerful archetypes. Now okay. there's potentially hundreds of thousands yeah. of, of profiles, but we chose the top 10 yeah. most aligned. These are the 10 groups of people, the adventure, group. The adventure clubs. Number yeah. one, yeah. there's a group that's about loyalty. There's a group that's about the environment. There's a group about anti-materialism. There's a group that's about all these 10, yeah. these 10 things. Yeah. Uh, they're the most powerful demographic or value graphic audiences that are out there. Yeah. There's a short quiz in the book, 10 questions. You can administer that quiz, use SurveyMonkey, whatever you want to use. Uh, You can ask any audience to answer these 10 questions and the answer key is in the book, it'll tell you which of those top 10 is the most important for your audience. What's so value? Which value? Which of those 10 archetypes. Oh, okay, okay. And those 10 archetypes is a whole chapter devoted to each one. So let's go to the Adventure Club. Yeah. Let's say you've administered this, this little survey, 10 questions mm-hmm. to a group of 100 people and it comes back that the Adventure Club is the most important one. Go to that chapter and we've told you everything we know about that group. Mm-hmm. So. It's still pretty inaccurate. Yeah. It's only the top 10 yeah. out of potentially hundreds of thousands, yeah. but at least it's better than saying we're targeting boomers. Yes. Right? Yeah. It's a huge leap forward from right. using demographics only yeah. as a way to understand what might motivate your audience. Wow.
1: Well, and as you start sharing this message and speaking at events, what is maybe some of the biggest resistance you're getting like, or, or the pushback huh. you're getting?
0: Well, I've noticed an inter- interesting correlation between the size of an organization and how willing they are to change. Yeah. So i don't think i'm the first person to ever notice that yeah. but it's definitely come home to roost with me yeah. so and i see i, I generally large corporations mm-hmm. there'll be a hero there'll be somebody inside the corporation who believes this who's read the book yeah. we spend time on the phone yeah. they're so excited about the opportunity to do something that's better for the company and better for the world yeah. by embracing value graphics Uh, And then they try and sell it up the food chain and they get up to, you know, a certain level where someone is very invested in a demographic profile for an audience that they've been trying to chase for the last 20 years. They've built their career on understanding this demographic audience, this persona, this this segment of the market, and they just are not interested in having to retool. Uh, So large corporations seem to have a little bit more difficulty getting their head around this smaller groups who aren't quite so ingrained, uh, they're grabbing onto this and going, oh my God, this is blowing my mind. Yeah, Yeah, of course, how do we do this? What can we do? So the sweet spot for value graphics for adoption seems to be, uh, I mean, there's a cost, there's a price tag attached to it, right? So two guys starting the company in their garage, Mm -hmm. they can't afford this. A uh, hundred guys working out of a hundred guys and girls working out of a, a, a larger corporate mm-hmm. setting. It's probably too ingrained there uh, for them to be early adopters. Yeah. The early adopters are sort of that mid-stage, mid size company who realizes how ridiculous it is to target a demographic mm-hmm. because they are combining their personal experience with their professional experience. Okay. They're looking at each other and saying, you know, I don't have all my friends the same age and income and education level as yeah. I do. I have my friends. We're a group because yeah. we all value the same things. Yes. So why does that change when we walk into the boardroom? Yeah. And they're willing to have that conversation yeah. and say, maybe our audience is like that too. Yeah. Maybe our audience is actually more aligned based around what they believe in yeah. and what they value and want yeah. and need and expect than whether or not they're 50 and earn a hundred grand yeah. or 20 and earn 30 grand yeah. or whatever other. Uh, you want to pull out of the database So you
1: use the term value in value graphics And so when we hear the term value we think of maybe you know our job orientation It was like company values and it's right. like, you not know, it's, it's on some framed photo in the office somewhere It's all dusty and no one really thinks about it yeah. And when you're out with friends, you don't usually use the term value a lot. So right. how Are you educating people about what is a value?
0: Yeah, so a couple of points there. First thing is every company says they have a set of values. Yeah. And most companies, the way that if you ask about how did you come up with those values, they say, we had a day with our senior management team and there was a lot of donuts and a flip chart and we listed all the things that are important to us. Or maybe somebody came in and gave a survey to our staff and we asked them what their values are. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. The staff all told us that they would really like things to be fair. Mm-hmm. Cool. Honest. Honest. Uh, So those are our values, fairness and honesty. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's not a very scientific approach and it's really probably more harmful than helpful. Uh, A value is what, a value, what's the definition of a value? Mm -hmm. It's a very good question. Mm -hmm. There's a list of 40 values that we use in our research. They come from the World Values Index and the Bhutan Gross Domestic Happiness Index, these sort of proven social science tools. So values are things like uh, trust, family, how you feel about relationships, Mm -hmm. money, Mm -hmm. uh, sex, drugs, religion. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a it's your deeply rooted inner Belief system be your inner uh, compass, your you inner compass? sure that's an interesting way to think about it yeah. uh, We all have a set of values that we live our lives by yeah. um, uh, I know people who for example loyalty drives everything they do yeah. and they've stayed in jobs far yeah. longer than they should have yeah. uh, To the point where all their friends are saying to them. Why are you still yeah. working for yeah. that guy? What the hell's going on yeah. and they just can't bring themselves to be disloyal. Yeah loyalty is one of their core core values. Mm. I know other people Mm. who are so religiously fervent that religion is a core value for them. It's a thing that they use to make decisions about which bottled water are they going to buy, whether they know they're doing it or not. The value of religion is something, uh, respect for religion, their religious belief system is driving how they make every single single decision. So there's 40 of them that the social science world Mm. sort of believes if you uh, know those 40 things about a group of people or how they rank those 40 things, you understand that group of people. It's like yeah. the DNA, it's like the, the fingerprint for yeah. what a group of folks uh, or, or an individual.
1: And you don't tell Facebook what your values are. So you no. can run a, a targeted ad at certain values on Facebook.
0: Well you kind of can though because yeah. um, uh, the way we collected the data is yeah. using social media tools and the yeah. targeting tools that are available to us through those different platforms yeah. so there's an example in the book um, one of our sur- so we say we have a hundred thousand surveys it was yeah. actually ten different surveys that we used. ten different thematic groups of yeah. questions that we sent out so there was one that was about health and fitness and wellness and sports and yeah. all those sorts of things so let's say on your Facebook page you'd yeah. said something about uh, being a hockey fan yeah uh, so you might get a little thing that pops up on your on your page mm-hmm. that says we're trying to understand what makes hockey fans yeah, tick. Yeah. What do you like about hockey? Would you mind answering a couple of quick mm-hmm. questions? Mm-hmm. Uh, we're doing a survey, and you, if you're a real hockey fan, you'll yeah. be like, yeah, of course, I want yeah. my opinion to be heard yeah. around that. So you click in, and the first question might be, so do you have a favorite team? Mm-hmm. Your answer is gonna be yes. Uh, if your team's out of the series after the second game of the season, mm-hmm. would you switch and cheer for another team? Yeah. And your, que- your answer might be, mm, no, never, mm-hmm. would never do that, it's, 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 you know, it's mm-hmm. the Canucks or nothing. Uh, and then you, we got to ask you a question about: uh, Does your family come to games mm-hmm. with you? Do you go to games? Do you mm-hmm. bring your friends? Do you oh, get drunk? Do you have? That's around... around this thing you already wow. are interested in telling us right. about, and you're having a great time answering yeah. this quiz because thing yeah. you—it's this thing you, you want to tell me about. Yeah. But what you're really telling me about is loyalty, family, friendships, relationships, uh, spending habits—all yeah. these things that we're filling these buckets up with information yeah. about who you are. The other piece of this database that's important to understand, it's if you're a statistician, anybody's a statistician, they're going to like this. It's called a random stratified statistically representative sample of the population, which basically just means it's an exact proportionate replica of yeah. the real world. Yeah. So proportionately in those 100,000 surveys, we have the same number of 18 year olds, yeah. 72 year olds, rich, poor, yeah. fat, tall, skinny, short, you know, um, yeah. black, white, yeah. Asian, um, north, south, east, yeah. west, urban, yeah. rural, however you can chop up the real world, yeah. we can do that with this tiny Lego version yeah. of, of, of the population. Wow. What it means is the data is uh, accurate to within plus or minus 3.5%. It has a 95% level of confidence. And it's about six or seven, depending on who you talk to, six mm-hmm. or seven times more data than you need for a Harvard PhD. Wow. So I knew I was going to be disrupting some people. Yeah. There's folks out there who uh, make a living yes. consulting with corporations about how to make millennials happy. Yeah. And I'm here to tell you that millennials, other than being millennials, yeah really have nothing in common. So there's no way to make them happy.
1: Could they hire that person? I'm just gonna give a scenario. Could they hire that person, and and they've got a job, and maybe someone who's listening or watching the show has a job as a boomer consultant, or a demographic consultant. Could they hire them in, and the next day bring you in to marry value graphics, what they, they learned the day
0: before? Sure, if that person's open-minded enough to realize that their job is not really to be a boomer consultant or a millennial consultant. Their job is to help figure out, let's say, what the internal culture of this organization should be. There's going to be stuff that some millennials find really interesting and it's equally interesting to some boomers and some Generation X and to some men and to some women and that same set of stuff is going to be repulsive and repugnant to some millennials and yeah. some boomers yeah. and some Generation X. So you think about it like a loaf of bread right instead of slicing whatever this audience is that's represented by this loaf of bread instead of slicing it like this and saying age income gender marital status slice it this way and find out what's common across all those things the biggest Ah, disappointment, I guess, I feel now that, you know, having spent my career in marketing and finding this new answer to a better way to understand our audiences, is how much we leave on the table when we think about demographics. If you've identified a demographic audience based on purely stereotypical ideas of what that demographic's about, there will be people in other demographic categories who are just as interested in what you develop. Hmm. You just are ignoring them. Instead of slicing the bread this way, slice it this way, you'll find super interested people in whatever that set of values are who cross all those demographic categories. And why would you leave them out? If you think your product, your building, your pillow, your teacup is for 72-year-old women who uh, live alone and have an income of $50,000 a year, I guarantee there are millennials just as interested in that teacup. And there's going to be 72-year-old women who fit that demographic profile who hate that freaking teacup. It's about what the values are that stretch across all of those demographics.
1: So what do you think of companies that take their core values and their values and they put it in their like shopping bags and they broadcast it for the world to see with hopes of attracting value, you know, at, at
0: least they're trying.
1: So do you think they're doing that right or are they just scratching the surface? I love your thoughts on that. Cause we've seen it here in our backyard. Yeah. Companies that put it all over their bags and on the wall, they have a yeah. manifesto. And yeah. We yeah.
0: know, we know which companies we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, they're trying at nice. least they're trying, right? Really? They're not doing it based on data, though. No. They're doing it based on a founder who's oh, yeah. decided these what the this is what our values oh, yeah. are, or a group of uh, uh, like appointed representatives from each department within yes. the company have all yeah. got together and after a bunch of donuts have yeah. said this is what our values are. No, no,
1: it was, are. Uh, it was uh, smoothies, green smoothies. Smoothies. Yes. Okay. Yes. Cool. No, no there we go. No that. donuts
0: at that one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah that's true. Yeah. They were probably wearing stretchy pants. Yes. The uh, uh, I like the fact that companies are trying. It yeah. tells me that we're on to an answer okay. that there is an appetite for us to be a values based world. We talk about design thinking all the yeah. time. This is values thinking. Yes. So design thinking should be based on values. Yeah. Everything should start with what do the people we're doing this for yeah. care about? Yeah. And then from there go nuts.
1: That's really
0: cool. That's so you, that simple. Now what we've been able to do for the first time is we've taken these conversations about values which have always been very very philosophical, yeah, yeah. we've made them empirical so instead of sitting around and going I think and I believe and I based on my experience with we say no the data says the values are this this and this so now start your conversation there
1: because the ones that are doing it, it's based on gut. Yeah, right. And, and Which they, may
0: or may not be right, and yeah. some of it might be cool. And if they're they really are in touch with the folks that they're trying to serve, uh, they'll they'll do a good job of that. And if uh, uh, but they'll they're still you you just have no validity. Yeah. This is third party, independently yeah. verified data that yeah. can come in and go. No, your values are this, this, and this. Yeah. Put it. Uh, I know what you do for a living. Similar to what I used to do for a living, there's a lot of workshopping involved, right? Oh, yeah. There are flip charts and yeah. sticky notes and markers, and we all know what those exercises are all about. Yeah. Generally, those things begin with a large conversation about who are we doing this for? Yes, far. of
1: course, always. Yeah, you get sent a brief right before you go into a meeting sometimes, and they Who are these up, people? Yeah. Oh yeah. Right. And there's the, the the stock images that come with the brief.
0: Yep. Yeah. And some pretty pictures, and they've yeah. got a dog, or oh, yeah. you know, their name is Sally, and they yeah. drive and they a spend minivan, a lot of and. lot money on that dog. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's made up stuff. Uh, Instead, if you started that workshop with scientifically without any equivocation whatsoever, this is who we're doing it for and here's what they care about. Now let's brainstorm.
1: Now let's decide what we put in the commons living area. Yeah, or
0: what color the product is or how many buttons and knobs it should have or whether the people we're doing this for really care about buttons and knobs and would rather it had none. Or um, like, let's brainstorm but base it on science instead of basing it on this flawed logic of demographic stereotypes that unfortunately the whole world has been built on demographic stereotypes. Here's another way to think about this everything that is in this room right now everything you're wearing everything i'm wearing everything that we've seen since we woke up this morning started its life in a boardroom somewhere with a group of probably middle-aged white guys sitting around saying to each other what's our demographic audience profile and then they tick that box Mm -hmm. and then they start making stuff up about them and say here's okay if that's who we're doing this for then they like this they like this we know that we know that women like pink and boys like blue so let's make it pink because we're targeting women but we know now that that's wrong. The database has proven that those numbers, that those, those, the, the, the similarity amongst the people within those cohorts is non-existent, or it's negligent, negligible. Uh, So it is a negligent way of approaching this whole assignment. Instead, sit around and say to each other, what's the value graphic profile for this demographic? What do they actually care about? What does the science say about this, not our gut? And now we can just start our entire day of donuts and smoothies together, talking about reality, instead of some made up, flawed construct based on who knows what.
1: And the demographic is is still there. But used to just say targeting certain age groups or things, but not basing on the values that they have. Because value graphics is going to tell us values, where demographics is going to tell us just
0: And that'll depend are. on the product, right? I mean, okay. some products are made for men, some products yeah. are made for women. Yeah. There's just no denying. I yeah. mean, let's walk down the aisle of a, a, a drugstore. Yeah. There's stuff in there that's just for guys, yeah. and stuff that's just for girls, right? Uh, and that's not to be sexist, yeah. it's just yeah. we have different bodies, yeah. we have different yeah. needs, right? Uh, there's other things like political ideology. Yes. If you're a political party yeah. and you can stand up and say the values of my constituents yeah. are this yeah. based on science, yeah. not based on what I think or the two guys I had coffee with yesterday or my cabinet thinks or whatever, how much more respect and how much more power do you have as, as uh, somebody who's writing laws and policies if you're basing them on values that are actually scientifically verified as opposed to values that you think are handy and convenient because that's what you're trying to sell through the system. Every politician in the world who stands up and says, the values of my country are X, Y, and Z, they don't know. They've had, they maybe spent, spent a million bucks with some group who did some surveys and asked some questions about values. This is the first time there's been a random, stratified, statistically representative sample large enough to actually prove what people care about and not just cobble together some census data, some demographics, some postal code sortation index data and some old yearbook yeah. data and tax data and smash it all together and go, wow, there's a hundred different groups of people out there and we think the ones you're talking to are this group, this group and this group. So here's what you should say. How how can you possibly think that any of that, I call that magpie data, that sort of just assembled data, mushed together into a pile and then sliced up like a loaf of bread, that that's somehow valid? This is people telling us what they care about, what drives them, what makes them get out of bed in the morning, what their first thought is when they put their feet on the floor on the side of their mattress, and the last thing they think about is their eyes close at the end of the day. That's the stuff that makes people make decisions about everything. And now we have an empirical tool that we can use to accomplish great stuff. Yes, there's a commercial aspect to this. Yeah, there's the great stuff yeah. we can accomplish is, is going to help companies be way more efficient, build homes, build products, build services, that people actually love and don't want to let go of ever. Their loyalty factor is yeah. going to go through the roof because it's going to feel like it's made for them. Yeah. But at the same time, having that information and that intelligence Mm -hmm. about what drives everybody in the world and how similar we are, instead of this divisive demographics, we have these inclusive value graphics. You think of the world conflicts we're going through right now. You think of political situation in the United States, our Mm -hmm. neighbors next door, the fighting that's going on, the the emphasis we all seem to have at this moment in history about what makes us different as opposed to what makes us the same. Wow. We're going to have a database that points out what makes us the same.
1: That's incredible.
0: It's, it, it kind of chokes me up yeah. a little bit when yeah. I talk about it, right? I mean, we can, we can accomplish so many great things.
1: Like Anecdotally, I was at uh, Evans Lake the last three days, my son's grade 7 retreat, and there was a guy there who uh, had a Jeep tattoo on his arm. <laughs> he rode a Jeep. He loves his Jeep. But he could not be any different than my friend Amon, who I work with here, who also has a Jeep, loves his Jeep. Because the value, but I realized as I talked to both of them, they both have this value of being part of this community and this loyalty to this product, and they all have this wave that they do to each other when they drive by with their Jeeps.
0: Yeah, there's the two fingers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like they're,
1: they're, <laughs> but, but they're two totally different people. Yeah. So what that means, like... They wouldn't they, be the same demographic no. audience. No. And so what does that mean for Jeep now? How do they advertise to this guy who's like 50-something, like it's so different than Mont. Like they're two totally yeah, yeah. different people. So how do they, How do you focus on that?
0: those values? Okay. So, let's say, um, let's let's talk about Jeep. Let's yeah. say um, that we know people who are attracted to a Jeep because of the database. Yeah. We know that they highly value um, uh, adventure. Yes, yes, yeah, they're, they, they're a
1: perfect adventure club. Yeah. Right.
0: They highly value um, family time. Yes. And they highly value, uh, uh, let's say, authority. Yes. There's yes. some sort of yeah. an authoritarian yeah. thing that's yeah. straight. That I can, is a I drive my Jeep everywhere. Yeah. Something like that. Uh, So if you just use that as your brief for your creative team.
1: Versus being told go after boomers or go after millennials, that would be a game changer for writing the commercial, writing the social media ads.
0: And you know what else is great? Uh, As a guy who used to own a a company that had a bunch of creative people working at it, um, as you do, the way we lose money is on revisions. Oh, yeah. We go back for the fifteenth, oh, yes. the sixteenth, the seventeenth mm-hmm. set of revisions because the client isn't quite sure if yes. it's if you really got it yet, yeah. or I yeah. don't know, I'm just not feeling. Yeah. I showed it to a few people, yeah. and the, yeah. you know, of course, that's an ex- there's exceptions. There's yeah. great clients you yes. know immediately yes. that you've done your job properly. Yeah. But most of the time, we're dealing in this weird, fuzzy world of opinions and guesswork. Mm -hmm. It's not just us. It's architects, interior designers, computer programs, UX people, anybody who sells... Packaging design. Packaging design. Donor
1: relations people.
0: Donor relations. Anybody who's trying to convince an audience of a point of view around Mm -hmm. something, who has to get a client to agree that they've got it, now they can go in and say, my ideas are based on data, Mm. not... I think, yeah. or my wife said, yeah, yeah. and 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 conversely, the client can't, in all honesty, stand up and say, "This is no good because my second cousin twice removed had a birthday party and all of his friends thought this was terrible." Yeah. It doesn't matter. No. The data says this is going to work for the audience you're trying to attract. Yeah. Uh, so, with which
1: adventure club could be one of those? Right, adventure club and, and could here's be one the of the research those. behind it versus just some. Because the thing with Boomer, it's been around for so long that I've heard. I've actually heard. Two different people speaking about boomers say two totally different things about boomers because
0: no one really knows. So I'll tell you a personal story and I I hope I don't offend anybody with this, but I was asked to come and speak at a conference in Las Vegas, Mm -hmm. I don't know, about six months ago, something like that. It was huge. It was the biggest conference I've ever spoken at. Uh, I was one of about 30 keynote speakers. It was like being at the Coachella of conferences, right? It was massive. Every other speaker at this thing was a millennial expert. Wow. who was there to talk about Millennials and HR, Millennials yeah. and recruitment, Millennials yes. and what they like yeah. in a product, yeah. and Millennial this, Millennial that. Yeah. I wanted to go to every single one of those yeah. and stand up and go, what are you basing this on? Wow! Because I know they yeah. don't have data. Yeah. They're basing it on what they think Millennials might like. They've read a few articles, yeah. which we know are based on what somebody's opinion yeah. might be. So you read or four are articles. Or they are a Millennial. Yeah. And this is what me and my friends like. So yeah. therefore, yeah. I have this theory Millennials have been the scapegoat because we always like to pick on the youngest cohort. Yes. They're not the youngest cohort anymore, by okay. the way. Millennials are all getting up to like the oldest ones are thirty-eight and thirty-nine years yeah. old now. So they're not kids living in the basement anymore. These are fully grown adults with families and cars and mortgages and, and all that kind of stuff.
1: What do we call the next one? Just for those. Gen are... Z. Gen
0: Z, and then after that. And after that, there's another label. But there's a new label every 20 minutes. No, it's not. like the perennials. You heard about the perennials? No. Or the zennials? Or the, like, somebody's, every day, somebody's sitting down and coming up with a new cohort, a and new, then a new Zoomer, idea. Zoomer.
1: Zoomers, which is, which is uh, Moses, BDS. Moses, yeah. Neimer. Yeah. Uh,
0: but, uh, so, Perennials are people who are ageless and who are just fresh and fun and cool and hip all the time. Okay. Just like a flower, a perennial oh, I flower, like that. right? That, yeah. But that makes sense. So then it, it kind of goes along with value
1: graphics. Sort of ways. it's
0: one I mean, there's also people who are grumpy old, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. nasty people all the time. So they're I guess like the grump perennials. The, the grumpennials. The oh, there we just so made up good. a new yeah. factor. We, just, yeah. we could build an entire career on the grumpennials. Yeah. Uh, and write books and be, white be consultants paper. and do a white paper yeah. and we could we could do that. Uh, where was I going with this?
1: For your speaking event, you wish you could speak to each one and say, "Guys, And just say, where are you, say, getting, your where are you getting your research yeah, from? Because and, there's
0: and, none. There none. There is none. There is no research out there that proves anything similar amongst millennials, other no than here. Say, sure, there's been an Ipsos read survey that might have talked to about uh, coffee consumption yeah, yeah. and what millennials think about coffee consumption. Yeah. But you know what? The stuff that millennials are saying about coffee consumption today is the same stuff that boomers today are saying yeah. about yeah. coffee consumption." Yeah. When you and I graduated, or me, I'm a couple years older than you, when I got out of school, uh, you went into a job, and you did what you were told, and you obeyed the rules, and you worked really hard, and you came in before the boss, you left after the boss, and you tried to find a way to make sure the boss knew that you were in there on the weekend. And then gradually, eventually, you would get promoted. Mm Millennials don't want any of this they want to come in when they want to come in They don't understand why there needs to be office hours. Why can't I work at home? Why uh, I need a flex day? Mm -hmm. I'm not feeling really good today. I don't think I'm gonna be there Who doesn't want that? Yeah boomers want that so does generation X so do men so do women So do people who make a hundred thousand So do people make 20,000 The Millennials have just come through a school system where they've been told that they can stand up for themselves I came through a school system where I was told to sit down and shut up and do what you're told so it doesn't mean that I'm any different than any of those millennials and the millennial traits that they're apparently bringing into the workforce, just as one example, right?
1: No. I
0: I want all that stuff too.
1: And I've heard, like when I hear people complain, like I work with mostly millennials, like all millennials, and I find that it's mostly about how they were brought up, so their parents, and if they've had a really bad job before. Sure. So if they've had a bad job and they've had, and so when they come to this work environment, it's all different. Everyone, it's more about how they were raised and did they show up to dinner on time?
0: And do yeah. they show up to work on time? Sure. But you know who else is exactly like that? Boomers. And cause they had parents. They had parents yes. too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, and how they were raised was a big part oh. of how they behave today. Wow. Uh And the bad job they had last yeah. year uh, also influences how they're behaving yeah. in the workforce today. Uh, so it just, when you start to wipe that whole notion of demographics out of your head yeah. and start saying to yourself, you know what, we're all the same. Mm. We come from slightly different uh, pools yeah. Yeah. within this massive sea yeah. of sameness. Yeah. Uh, there's more that brings us together. There's more things that we have in common yeah. than there are things that push us apart. Which is a great lens to look at life with. Versus, It's the best lens there is. Yeah. Uh, there shouldn't be this focus on divisiveness and difference yeah. and dividing us and putting us into categories yeah. based on random things. When you think about age as yeah. an example, yeah. we'll go back full circle yeah. to what the book is called, we're all the same age now yeah. and this notion of ageism. All your age is, is a record of how many times you've been around the sun on yeah. the planet. Yes. Uh, there's, a, there's a Wikipedia page that talks about how many people you share a birthday with. So, something like 33 billion people or 33 million people around the planet that you share a birthday with. Yes. And there's not a shred of evidence that supports the idea that you have anything in common with yeah. any of them. Yeah. So, why is that such a foundational bedrock principle of everything that you're wearing, everything we've seen mm-hmm. today, the car you drove here in, everything in the world is based on the notion that somehow the number of times you've been around the mm-hmm. sun has something to do, you may as well just target Geminis.
1: Well, maybe it's just, maybe or it's just, Libras. I'm trying to understand. Like, I'm know? trying to give some you know, empathy or it. Maybe it's just easier, simpler. Um, people like to judge others by you know, more visible things versus internal. It Cause was... Because you're, you're saying going into the core of someone. Yeah. Like, cause at Evans Lake, they did this thing where they drilled a, 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 this cool drill thing into a tree, mm. and they pulled out a core. Yeah, yeah. It was really thin. A tree sample. Yeah. That's basically what you've done. All these people. Yeah, I guess but, so. But that's a lot more work than saying, "Oh, that's a deciduous tree," or that you know, that's a, that's a ever you know, a pine or whatever. Yeah. But you've taken the effort to build the tool. Yeah. With the surveys to go inside of people and pull it out.
0: Yeah. Well, but that's how we all make our decisions. And isn't uh, as as an organization that's here to help our clients understand how to talk to their yeah. audience? Yeah. Isn't it kind of our responsibility to figure out what our audience is going to be motivated by? Yeah. Um, what it is that they're going to use to make a decision? Okay. Yeah. How they're going to? Uh, what's going to influence them and what isn't, yeah. That's we should know this. Yeah. Uh, and the fact that we're still relying on a system that was built centuries yeah. ago, um, it's kind of weird. Uh, we talk about That's disruption funny. all the time these days, like it's some sort of new thing, like mm-hmm. Stone Age man wasn't disrupted by Bronze Age yeah. man. I mean, we've been disrupting forever, yeah. right? I think this is the most base-level fundamental disruption well, of all.
1: Well, you're destroying every like every marketing brief I've seen in the last you know couple of years. Like uh, that, I, would just, they're all demo-based. I just I, got one yesterday that had all these beautiful <laughs> stock images, and I know how much they paid for that, yeah. and they spent a couple months on that document. Yeah. yeah. And now what you're saying is,
0: it's still maybe useful, but not unless you put a layer of value graphics on top of it. Because you're going to take those demographics and make assumptions about those people based on how old they are, how much money they make. Here's another way to think about that. If you took a room and you filled it with uh, 60-year-old women uh, who are single uh, and who have a net worth of a quarter million dollars, how much in common do you think they'd have with each other?
1: Again, now you've disrupted me. I I don't know now. I I, I couldn't even tell you. They're
0: not going to have anything in common, except they have a quarter million dollars. They're women, and they are 60. Maybe similar hair. No, wow, well, are you kidding? That's the, the entire hair cutting, the hair stylist industry is about making my hair different than the other, other pre- It's like yeah, yeah, there's there's they're, they're not going to like the same clothes. Yeah. They're not going to like the same cars. They're not going to go to the same places on right. vacation. Right. They're not going to they're probably I'm going to guess at that age all going to have some kind of feelings around family. Yeah. But even that uh, some of them, they're all going to tell us to our face yeah. that family's super important yeah. because they expect that's what we want to hear. There's a lot of survey bias when you ask a question yeah. like that. But if you ask them how many hours in the last mm-hmm. week have they spent with their family and you got an empirical answer to that, you'd be able to sort them into all the different piles of how important their family really is wow. compared to the knitting or the swimming yeah. or the weightlifting yeah. or the what's, what are their leisure activities, yeah. that group of women. It's going to be all over the place. Yeah. And it's going to be all over the place with with a similar sort of randomness that if you had that room full of millennials, or you had that room full of guys, or you had a room full of people who were married, or people who were married and had two kids, or people who were divorced and are single parenting with one kid, there's no similarity other than the thing you're using to describe the group. So carry on describing the group that way, but then figure out what's similar about them by understanding their values. Because their values is how they make their decisions. What we value determines what we do.
1: So when you mentioned Vegas, and, yeah. and wishing you could ask all the people, where does the research come from? <laughs> like, and, and speaking as a Canadian here in in, sure. in Vancouver, Ipsos Reid, right? The, yeah. the pollster, right? Yeah. And, and yeah. back in my day, and this is in 1999, at the height of polling for yeah. youth, it was uh, Bibby, Reginald Bibby, and Don Pusturski. They were the ones who had all the stats on youth and what do youth want and what do they need. Yeah. So. Um, but is there anyone doing the research anymore? Like, is Ipsos Reid finding out? Are they researching boomers? Like, is there anyone coming up with stats or data or polling? Sure.
0: Like There's all kinds of uh, uh, all that stuff is still working. Like, all those companies are still out there doing their thing. They're, are um, they doing the
1: research as you've like? Are they no. researching a hundred thousand no. surveys about boomers? No.
0: So when you hear a political poll on the television, like somebody gets us, oh, the Republicans are ahead by forty-seven yeah. points or whatever, that's based on a hundred, couple hundred phone calls. So it's who they phoned, who they managed to get to answer their poll, skews that sample significantly. Yeah. Uh, if they called me to ask me what I felt about a, a, a political race, yeah. I'd hang up on them. So yeah. I'm not part of their survey. But, uh, but in the
1: back room, are they are they figuring out boomers? Like, is there anyone who has authoritative data on boomers? Like, is anyone bothering you to take the time? There's to do it? there's
0: there's other people who are researching around the sort of thing that we've built this database. Um, I can't quote the name of the guy because yeah. I can't remember and I should know this, but this was a fascinating study of 600,000 people over the course of 10 years yeah. and they, they compared their similarities in age cohorts yeah. to see how similar these people were yeah. and how that changed over the course of 10 years. Yeah. And their findings with 600,000 people, and this is an academic, i yeah. Harvard, Stanford, yeah. Yale, something like that. There's findings where the people within an act within a cohort, an age-based cohort, actually were more dissimilar yeah. than they were with people in other cohorts. Yeah. So there was less similarity by slicing these 600,000 people into age groups than if you compared the age groups to each other. They ended up being more similar to each other. So we resemble a p- people our own age less than we resemble people of other ages.
1: So what you're saying, this disrupts everything. Like most things in life, whether it's product development or even like board of trades. Here's a good one. You know, the whole chamber of commerce, board of trades, they try to put people in age groups, but even then I remember going to one meeting and realizing everyone in the room was at such different stages of their business that it would have been better just to put people who are at the similar stage of their business. Or even better, like, similar values of why they started their business.
0: What was they're trying about? to accomplish. What's driving them? Why are they in business in the first place? Yeah. Uh, do I want to have a big, giant, huge corporation? Or am I just trying to build this and flip it because really my, po- my core value is financial security. Yeah. I need a big chunk of cash yeah. in the bank to feel secure. That's the reason I'm working so hard at building this company. Or I'm doing this because I want to change the world. Yeah. Or I'm doing this because whatever.
1: I want the thrill, the adventure of it. And yeah, yeah.
0: Autonomy. I need yeah. to be. Uh, I need to be personally autonomous. I don't yeah. want someone else telling me what to do. So I started my own company. Yeah. Those. Those are the driving factors around how they're making decisions. Mm-hmm. And it sounds kind of uh, airy fairy. I don't know what Ooh. the right term is. On but the service,
1: but, on the, but on the flip side, it's everything.
0: Sure, it is. So if you know that a guy started or somebody started a company because of autonomy, and the, the that's the reason they're doing this is they can't. They don't want. They just can't handle anybody yeah. else telling them what to do. They have to be. I had someone tell me this once that I'm a great team player yeah. as long as it's my team. Yeah. <laughs> so I started my own company. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, every decision after that, large or small, yeah. is somehow going to impact the amount of autonomy you have. Yeah. Should we spend this extra money and hire these extra yeah. people? What's that going to do to my ability to call the shots? Am I going to be beholden to someone? Yeah yeah, okay, then we're not going to do that. We're going to do it this other way where I'm not beholden to someone. Uh, do we buy jelly beans or do we buy wine gums? Yeah. I don't know if you can get that level of uh, of uh, craziness, yeah. but somehow, somewhere deep inside you, you're making that call. I'll give you a really good um, case study that we uh, I like to point to. For some reason or another, uh, we ended, we've ended up doing a whole lot of work on Wall Street. Yeah. So we have hedge funds, yeah. private equity firms, venture capital firms. These guys are... Uh, suspicious to say the least of marketing. Yeah. Um, it's a bunch of hocus pocus mm-hmm. and it's a black art yeah. and there's no stats and yeah. data. So they're very attracted to what we're doing because yeah. there's stats and data. Yeah. Now, this is their audience. Their audience are people that are called institutional investors. Mm-hmm. Institutional investors uh, do what's called placement. Mm-hmm. So institutional investor guy gets to work on Monday morning and I'm oversimplifying and yeah. I hope nobody's offended, but uh, they get to their desk and there's a note from their boss that says, this week we have an extra $10 million. got to figure out where you're going to invest it. Yeah. That's their job, yeah. uh, investing that $10 million. Yeah. Now there's a million hedge funds out there who are all going pick me pick me pick me and they're all sending him exactly him or her exactly the same amount of information formatted in the same way here's a bunch of charts and graphs on how we performed before here's a little bit of a we're gonna tell you a little bit about what our secret sauce is but not really because that's our secret sauce here's our management team aren't they smart they already made their billions of dollars and now they're working with us uh, and so they have these all these decks sitting on their on their desk how are they supposed to decide how can you possibly make yeah. a decision when it's basically a parody product? Yeah, dart
1: on the wall, yeah.
0: One of those groups somehow understands that the thing that motivates that guy to come to work and get up and have his job every day and work mm-hmm. so hard and put in all that time is his family mm-hmm. and structures their deck and says something mm-hmm. to them about the fact that we're a family run company. Yeah. Uh, that we invest in um, family-based uh, charities yep. with 0.5% uh, of the profits from everything we do. Uh, and that um, we like to have our clients come and meet us and bring your family and we're gonna have a picnic every summer and wow. we, we'd love you to come to Central Park. We book this place around the lagoon and we all have you know stand around and meet each other's families. A guy's going to have a pretty hard time not at least putting that one on the top of the pile. All the other stuff still has to be there. Yeah. All the graphs course, and charts yeah. and the proof and the yeah. regulatory stuff and la la blah, blah, blah. But if they know that for one reason or another, the investors who are most attracted to their particular offering yeah. and what makes them unique happen to think family is really, really important, all you need to do is trigger that value and they're going to sway in, in, in favor of your particular investment. Wow. I'll give you one more story and then we've probably gone way too long. Uh, radio. Yes. Uh, there's this funny thing happening, a conundrum in the radio world right now. Uh, they know the PPM ratings, the way they judge how many people are listening, yes. go down between songs. Yes. So what their response to that is logically let's have less time between songs. Mm-hmm. No talking. If we can get it to the point where there's just yes. one song after yes. another, our PPM ratings will be higher. People will pay more money for our ads and that's what we're here to do. Yes. However, The only way you can differentiate your station from the next station is with the space between the music, right? The talking is the way you know that this is local, right? So how do we reduce the amount of talking between the songs so that we keep those PPM ratings up and still not just be the same as the next station who also has access to the same music we do and can just end up being a copy, like a carbon copy of what we're doing? You have to be local somehow. The only way to be local is that space between the music. If you know that the listeners for your station share values of environmentalism, uh, cultural awareness, and uh, uh, self-determination, you can structure this talking, what you talk about, what you cover in the space between the music, exactly to trigger those values so your PPM ratings won't go down because people are about to turn the dial and the guy's talking about something that directly triggers one of their values. They're going to stay and listen, and then the next song's there.
1: And they might lose some people, but they go with, they get their core value audience and they get a loyal audience because they're. And now
0: you can turn around and say to a potential advertiser, we know that we're attracting people who have these values.
1: So if someone wants this done to their business, like I'm thinking of lazy boy furniture, right? Or even a a new development I have coming up right in a area locally here. Are you the only, like, is it your company that does it? Like, do they read the book? Is there other people that can provide this sort of service? Mm, at the moment,
0: me? at the moment, it's me. Okay. Uh, you can read the book, and as I said, there's a really, like, back of the napkin sketch okay. version yeah. in there, like the top yeah. 10 value graphic profiles, right? uh but but at the moment yeah you need to get a hold of me it's valuegraphics.com yeah. uh and if you just do hashtag value graphics yeah. i have not been shy yeah. there's lots of information out there there's videos to watch yeah. there's lots of media coverage and yeah. lots of people starting to talk about this stuff okay. get a hold of me uh and uh let's see what we can do about profiling your audience bringing you eight times more impact uh and effectiveness with every dollar you spend yeah. every hour you spend on yeah. trying to motivate that audience to do what you want them to do I guess the best simplest line is for the first time we actually have a database that can tell you what your audience wants and what messages will motivate them.
1: And they hire you. They're hiring you and then access to the database and yeah. then you can come in and put that filter on their company yeah, and help them understand their, yeah. their organization.
0: And we do it in a couple different ways. We yeah. can work with a company like yours and we yeah. can say, here's the data, you should go and workshop them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and we'll, I'm even happy to share the exercises that I've been using when I run a workshop yeah. in order to understand how this data comes together. So, so
1: agencies that are listening, you can empower them.
0: Yeah, exactly. Or if it's a client and they want yeah. to do this directly, yeah. or if an agency wants me in the room because yeah. I'm the guy who's been working yeah. with this for the last couple years, I'm happy to come do that. Wow. There's price variations if you need to yeah. put me in the room versus you go into it yourself and yeah. I'm just providing the data. Uh but uh yeah it's um it's surprisingly inexpensive and surprisingly fast because we've harnessed the power of algorithmic data collection. Wow. We're not just standing in a, in a, in a mall with yeah. a clipboard or phoning nope. people or sending emails where we get like one out of every 100,000 yeah. people to respond, we, yeah. we're using technologies that were actually meant for ad placement yeah. as a way to make sure that we're getting surveys into the heads and into the minds of the right people and getting wow. the answers out of the right folks that can tell us what we need to know so we can open our benchmark study yeah. and pull out the information that we've got pre-made and pre-built, uh, wow. pre-collected.
1: Wow. Well, I, uh, I, I I think I'm gonna coin what you said. I, the word disruption is used a lot, but yeah. I feel like this is the first interview we've done where you've literally <laughs> toppled the bottom floors <laughs> of those people's marketing plans, businesses, and you've pulled the carpet out. Yeah. But I feel like what you've built, I feel is so much more human and I think we'll have a huge impact both on relationships around the world and how we look at other countries and how we look at other people. I feel like, I'm not saying you're gonna solve racism, but I'm saying what you're we you, can
0: We can contribute. You can contribute, and yeah. I feel
1: like that's actually pretty cool.
0: It is pretty and, cool. And there is
1: huge commercial value. That's all. I'm, I'm mostly thinking about the commercial value, of it, but yeah. at the same time, man, what you're doing from a human perspective is is game changer. Yeah, like uh, uh,
0: there's so many applications from a, and that's the stuff that keeps me moving, yeah. you know? It's yeah. been a hard slog, yeah. I, won't, I won't lie. It's been three years of really hard work. I mm. had to learn how to speak sociology. Yeah. Uh, I had to learn what all this data stuff is yeah. about. I'm not that guy, I'm a copywriter who used to have a marketing firm, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and now suddenly I'm, uh, I'm facing academics yeah. who have spent their life um, analyzing statistics yeah. and they're asking me questions about my methodologies. Mm. And uh, you know, the... The the statistician that I work with, as I've mentioned, he's in New Zealand, yeah. so he can't be with me yeah. uh, when when we're when we're doing all of this stuff. So I've had to learn how to speak his language, and yeah. he's had to learn how to speak marketing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what's been interesting about this whole process for both of us is been that uh, the learning curves. It has been like learning to speak two different languages. Yeah. Uh, the things that the academic world are the most excited about, with the discoveries that we've yeah. made, uh, are not the things that the marketing world is yeah. interested yeah. in, and vice versa. Yeah, the stuff that the marketing world is yeah. interested in, the academics yeah. are like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Uh, so, having an academic and a marketing guy working together and yeah. going, "Wait a minute, what's that thing you're not yeah. talking about over yeah. there?" and "You, ca- how can you ignore this thing over yeah. here?" Yeah. Uh, we've both learned so much from each other. It's been it's been remarkable. Wow.
1: And I think too, like from like a. a Association of Fundraising Professionals, AFP, right? Just mm. from their perspective, just alone. Like, I've seen and heard them make these broad sweeping, in the same way you make broad sweeping things about demographics, they've made it about religious people or, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're givers, right? Uh, where I think they, I, I can't think of anyone who's actually taken the time to actually deeply probe and go in and get, yeah. take out a core sample to find out what it are, is actually their audience's Well,
0: values. and the people, let's talk about that. The people who donate to, I'm really involved in the arts and culture world. Yeah. so. Uh, currently, mm-hmm. Ballet BC is yep. something that I'm very um, involved with. I do everything I can to help them. They're a world-class organization. Mm-hmm. little plug for Ballet BC. Yeah. If you haven't been, you should go. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not ballet the way you think of it. There's no tutus. There's no yeah, tiaras. Yeah. It's very, very cool contemporary art.
1: Nutcracker? Is that them?
0: Is that them? Uh, they bring in somebody to do the Nutcracker. Yeah, go. Um, or, uh, so they have various people who yeah. come and do that okay. for 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 them. But uh, they don't they don't do the Nutcracker. Okay. It's too classical, right? Okay. So there's everything you think about ballet yeah. is not here. Okay. Okay. You absolutely need to, need to, uh, check, absolutely need to yeah. sit, check this out. It's it's remarkable. Mm. I thought I hated ballet yeah. until I went to see this. Okay. Uh, So, where I'm going with that. The reasons why somebody would donate money or time to this organization are going to vary. There's going to be two or three different value graphic profiles that we'll be able to identify for that organization. To say that those same motivations, those same values, wants, needs and expectations are true for people who are donating to the symphony is wrong. There's going to be some similarities and the same people who are donating to cancer are going to have a different motivation for doing that. There's going to be a value graphic difference between all the different groups that are out there trying to raise funds to do whatever good work they're trying to do. Uh, The problem we're having, and I I speak on on behalf of the arts and cultural community, I'm sure this is true in the other fundraising sectors that I don't know as much about, but you've got a board of directors, mostly middle-aged white guys yeah. uh, we're getting better about that there's yeah. some women on boards yeah. now uh, there's some maybe some token uh, uh, representation from uh, maybe one of the symphony artists is yeah. on the board but yeah. but basically it's the folks who are on boards yeah. um, and they're all sitting around saying to each other how do we get the Millennials in here yeah. how do we get oh, generations that you know yeah. our, our, our audience is getting old they're yeah. dying off yeah. we're not gonna get the money from yeah. them that we you're accustomed to getting yeah. what are we gonna do and so they well, what do millennials like? They, like? they don't like suits. Yeah. They don't like dressing up in suits because yeah. they don't do that at work. Mm-hmm. So let's make sure that they all understand that you can wear whatever you want to the symphony. Yeah. I'm picking on the symphony. No. I don't know if this no. is true. To uh, Cultural organization yeah. X. Millennials don't like suits. Yeah. What we're going to find out, actually, is that there's a sector of millennials mm-hmm. who wear... Uh, jeans and t-shirts to work and the opportunity yeah, yeah. to put it's, on a suit yes, exactly. is like yay! I yes. get to put on a suit. It's right? date night I'm yeah. gonna go out and get all dressed up. Yeah. I have one really great suit yeah. I want to wear a tie and I don't want to be around people who are wearing uh, t-shirts no. and no. jeans uh, I'll give you a, very, a funny story about uh, this a similar a related incident I did some work with um, with a private club. Yes, and this private club um, it's full of people who you'd expect. Yep. Uh, retired CEOs, mm-hmm. uh, various industries, yep. all that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. So we had a group of people who were workshopping on yep. the data. And I'm sitting in my chair, watching them all file in in the morning, grab their donut, sit yep. down at the table. Yep. Uh, and then this fellow walks in. Um, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this. Yep. I'm, I'm sure he won't. Uh, but he was wearing a full suit and tie. Yep. And what else made him different from everyone else in the room is he was black. Yep. So I hadn't seen a black guy at the club before. Yep. Yep. And so that kind of caught my attention. And he sat down in this room full of mostly middle aged white guys and a few women. Uh, And he was the loudest voice all day long for no tradition in the club should be changed I want my friends to have to wear nice clothes when they come here I don't want them to be in jeans and t-shirts I don't want there to be cell phones available the retired CEOs of the big corporations were like We should all relax a little bit. Maybe jeans are okay. Maybe we should have a cell phone every now and then We got to move with the times The one guy who I thought was yeah. going to be—what uh, I haven't told you—is he's the lead singer of a rap band. Okay. Uh, his name is Prevail, and he's yeah. the singer from yeah. the Swollen Members. Yeah, come on. Uh, so That's Prevail awesome. from the Swollen Members yeah. is in there going, "I want the traditions to stay the way they are." What club uh, is this? <laughs> this is the Vancouver Club. Okay. Uh, oh, wow. and so it's, it's oh, yeah. prevail. You some ones
1: you gotta wear. I got, okay. I got sent away cause I was not wearing pants.
0: Yeah. Well, you had to have, I hope you so had no, pants. No, I, had
1: had jeans on. I wasn't wearing like slacks or yeah. Yes.
0: I think most yeah. clubs would send you away for being pantless. <laughs> yes, but, yes, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's a, it's, it's, it's changing slowly. Yeah. Um, but of all the people who came into yeah. that session that day, I would have expected the lead singer of a rap band called the swollen oh, members yeah. would have been the one who was standing up and going you know, let's all just relax yeah. a little bit. It's uh, yeah. 2000 yeah. and at the time. It's 2017. Yeah. Let's all just calm yeah. down. And, yeah. you know, why aren't jeans and a cell phone is like big deal? And no, no. he didn't want any of, the, any really of that stuff cool. to change. So I love telling that story. Yeah. I hope, Prevail, if you're watching, that you don't mind that I use yeah. your name. Yeah. Um, that uh, it's, it's, it's proof positive that yeah. you can't use demographics as no. a way to understand what people are all about and yes. how they're going to behave and what their values are. Wow. Uh, it's... Uh, it's it's just it's flawed yep. logic yep. we know it yep. and now we have statistical proof yep. that it's flawed logic and we've got to just stop
1: so book available on Amazon
0: Amazon amazon.ca.com dot whatever you want uh, and uh, yeah buy the book uh, go down on my website go check out um, social media there's mm-hmm. stuff all over the place okay. uh, and if it's of interest give me a call and uh, know that um, you'll be helping me with my Robin Hood plans to yeah. try and make the world a better place, uh, and um, we can do that together. That's awesome.
1: All right, this is David Allison, Marketing Jam. Thank you so much for tuning in. Those that are watching, those that are listening, I uh, will see you next time on The Marketing Channel. Thanks for listening to Marketing Jam. If you enjoyed the show, head over to our YouTube or Facebook and give us a thumbs up, and visit iTunes to leave a rating and review. Thanks again, and see you next time.